But now, though, we're going to move into our time in the Word. And this week, we're going to just look at the first summary sermon that connects up the pieces that we've been looking into, immersing ourselves in, in these last weeks. We've looked at all seven churches that Jesus addresses in the last book of the Bible. And in those seven churches, we see examples of ourselves and examples of churches that we've been part of or perhaps have been associated with. It's amazing how contemporary and relevant messages that Jesus gave to seven churches almost 2,000 years ago, how relevant that is to us today. And as we've looked at those churches, we've had to, we've had to look at pretty large blocks of scripture. And it's really one of the tasks of a preacher that's perhaps the more complex side of things. And that is to decide what it is that God wants you to emphasize on any one week. We have to look at these passages together, but it's the task of the teacher or the preacher to to really ask the Spirit, where should we go to in this passage? Because even if we're doing a verse-by-verse exposition, there are different themes that will emerge that the Spirit will emphasize on some occasions and perhaps not on others. And so I would covet your prayers in that, just knowing and discerning where it is that God is leading us in the Scriptures. We've looked at these fairly large portions of Scripture over the last seven or eight weeks, and the Lord has brought to our attention particular things. But over these next couple of weeks, I want us to kind of bring together those messages and ask ourselves these simple questions. What does God want us to be? And what does God want us to do? You remember when I first began here just a few months ago, I attempted to lay out the two large themes of Scripture. Those two large themes of Scripture are covenant and kingdom, relationship, and our call to represent God the King. One is all about being. The relationship of covenant is all about being. And being the representative of the King and being the representative of his kingdom is all about doing. So over these next two weeks, I want us to ask As Jesus looks at us as a church and as he brings together the message that he spoke over those churches all those years ago, what does he want us to be and what does he want us to do? So this week, we're going to look at the being. What does Jesus want us to be? And as I've said, we've looked at fairly extensive passages up to this week. Well, this week, we're going to look at just a portion of one verse. And that portion of one verse is where we'll drill down. That portion of one verse is where we will seek to immerse ourselves in the Word of God this week. That portion of one verse is where we'll look to this week to ask the Lord to speak with us. I'm going to look at Revelation chapter 2 and verse 23. This is in the midst of the letter to the church in Thyatira, the longest of the letters. 
And you'll remember the church in Thyatira was a church that was being drawn into a broad path of, of compromised Christianity. And as the church was compromising its stand on various vital issues of the day, issues that are vital to our day, issues of sexuality and personal behavior, as the church was being led in a direction of compromise, the Lord was addressing the church. He was challenging the church. He was, he was calling the church to hear his chastising message. The Lord is free. He is God of heaven and earth to chastise his children and to bring his children to account. And here in this church, there is a leader, a a woman who is a prophetess who goes under the code name of Jezebel, who he has particularly harsh words for. Those who follow her, who he describes as her children, he says this to in Revelation chapter two and verse 23. I will strike her children dead then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. I am he who searches hearts and minds. When the Lord does a particular thing in one church, all of the church will know something that is true about Jesus. When God acts in a particular way, in one circumstance, the whole church will benefit by understanding how it is that Jesus operates. And what Jesus is saying here is that he operates with a capacity to search hearts and minds. He's able to search motivations and intentions. He's able to look from the inside to the outside. And how would he be able to do that? Well, at the very beginning of the letter to Thyatira, in chapter two, verse 18, it says this, to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. The blazing eyes of Jesus are able to search every heart and mind, every motivation and intention is exposed before his gaze. Nothing is hidden from the Lord and his eyes penetrate to the very heart of who we are, to the the very core of what it is that we seek to do and even what it is that we think. The Lord has access to things that even we don't have access to. Sometimes we do things without consciously understanding our motivations. Sometimes we're, we're about things where we're, we're not really clear about our intentions. And yet the Lord has eyes like blazing fire, able to see each of our hearts and minds and collectively, to do the same with the heart and the mind of the church. When you you hear that, 
When you are made aware of the fact that Jesus has blazing eyes and he's piercing all the darkness today and he's searching every heart today, how does it make you feel? Do you respond with fear or with faith? The churches that he's looking at, of course, here in Revelation are churches that have a particular kind of heart and he has particular kinds of observation. If you looked at the church in Ephesus, for instance, it's quite clear that the church in Ephesus, for all of its learning, for all of its theological correctness, for all of its ability to weigh the ministry of leaders in the church, testing the apostles to know whether they're false or not, for all of their capacity to do this, they were a church whose heart had become hard. Hard because they had drifted in their relationship with Jesus and had forgotten their first love. That first love that kept their heart soft towards Jesus and no doubt soft towards one another was now a heart that had drifted from that first love, had forsaken their first love, and their heart had become hard. Sardis, another church, not the church at the beginning of chapter two, but the church at the beginning of chapter three. Sardis had become a sleeping church. Its, its self-reliance, its self-centeredness, its comfort, its privilege, its power, its riches had led it to slumber. And Jesus addresses the church and says, wake up. And he says, strengthen what is about to die because you have a reputation for being alive, but in fact you're dead. The slumber had become the sleep of death. And what was once a heart that beat for Jesus was a heart that was hardening with the touch of death. To such churches, Jesus brings a word of correction and challenge. He wants these churches not to stay as they are, but to move into where he wants them to be. He doesn't want them to languish in the hardness of their hearts. He wants them rather to move in an entirely different direction. If we were to look in the text for an example of one who had a soft heart that would be an example to the Christians of Ephesus or the, the Christians of Sardis, the place that we would most likely look is the one who's been given the responsibility of writing down these words. If you go to chapter one of Revelation, you'll see there in chapter one, verse 11, the responsibility given to the apostle John. The voice is speaking to him and says, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches 
John who has been given the responsibility by Jesus in his later life, in his, in his old age. John is undoubtedly an example to the church that he was responsible for, principally the church in Ephesus, and then the region as a whole. And how do we know that? Well, listen to the testimony of John in John chapter one, verse nine. I, John. Now, what does he say? Does he say, I, John, the last of the great apostles? Does he say, I, John, the instrument and vehicle of God's word in your life? Does he say, I, John, the inheritor of the apostolic faith? Does he say, I, John, the one to whom Jesus gave his mother, whom I brought here in her old years? where she died and is buried. What does he say? He says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patience, endurance that arouse in Jesus. John, this ancient man by now, has been sent to a labor camp, a concentration camp, where he, I'm sure, expects to live out the last of his years. History external to the text of Scripture seems to indicate that, in fact, he was released and died amongst his own people in Ephesus. And there, on his gravesite, the second largest basilica, cathedral in the ancient world was built, the church of John. John, no doubt, did not expect any of that. He expected to to live out the last of his frail days there on Patmos. And John has this soft heart. John has a soft heart toward the people for whom he's responsible. John has a soft heart toward Jesus. John has a heart that is so soft that when Jesus comes to him, John is able to respond, not only personally, but is able to respond on behalf of others and write the last book of the Bible, imagine. But that same softness, that same, that same softness of heart that, that leads to vitality and strength is what Jesus holds out to the church in Ephesus and Sardis. He says, to whom overcomes, to to you who overcome, I will give from the tree of life in the paradise of God. If your heart is hardening and dying, if you respond to this word, then you'll receive the fruit of the tree of life and you'll live again. And if you know the overwhelming reality of a heart 
that has hardened in spiritual death, then if you hear my word, Sardis, and overcome, I'll give you a white stone, universally recognized amongst the scholars to be the ticket that gives you access to the victor's banquet. What does he say to Ephesus and Sardis, the ones who have a heart that is tending towards hardness? He says, if you'll hear me, if you'll allow my searching gaze to expose where your heart is becoming hard, then I'll soften your heart with the life of my presence, the fruit from the tree of life. And that life will give you victory, will give you confidence to always be at the table with the victors. It's wonderful. So as Jesus gazes on these churches and and examines them, he sees some with hard hearts that are being called to have soft hearts, but what about the others? Well, clearly there are other kinds of hearts. There are the faint hearts in the church of Pergamum and the church of Thyatira. The church of Pergamum is seeking an easy path in a time of persecution. Not all of them, of course, but some within their gathered company are looking for an easy rather than a narrow and difficult road. Their faint hearts are being overcome by the fear of persecution. In Thyatira, they have faint hearts in relation to the culture that has emerged around them, the promiscuous culture that is, that is seeking permission to do whatever it seems right in their eyes to do. And in both of these churches, it is the teaching of the Nicolaitans, the teaching of the false teachers who have somehow forged together the philosophy of the ancient Greeks and the teaching of the gospel. How has it happened? Greek philosophy creates the radical distinction between flesh and spirit. And so in Pergamum, the teachers are saying, look, in your heart, set apart Jesus as Lord and just sing songs to him as you go to the temple and fulfill your religious and your imperial duty to Rome. It's okay. It's only your body that's doing it. It's not your heart. In Thyatira, the teachers along with Jezebel are saying, we know how hard it is to hold out against the the great sea of promiscuity that you live in. We know that the, the culture that you're, that you're among is looking to you for permission to do whatever they wish. Well, because it's just the body that's being led into sexual sin, don't worry about it. After all, your spirit is still the Lord's and you can separate your spirit from your body anytime. And so the faint hearts are being led astray 
and to those faint hearts, to those hearts that are exposed by the searing gaze of Jesus. Jesus offers the example of the strong heart. The strong heart in the church in Philadelphia. There's only two churches, you remember, out of the seven who have no correction. They have no challenge. They are challenged to continue to do what they're already doing, but there's no correction to them. The church in Philadelphia and the church in Smyrna. To the church in Philadelphia, he says, I know you feel weak. I know that you feel like at any moment you're gonna become one of those faint hearts. But you've done something vital. You've kept my word. I know you feel weak, but you've kept my word. And because you've kept my word, no one will take your crown. Jesus doesn't say, hold on to your crown and let go of the word. He says, hold on to the word and no one will take your crown. These are the strong hearts. These are the brave hearts. These are the hearts who hear the call to mission. Every door that's been closed to you in the synagogue of Satan, says Jesus, is a door that I closed. It wasn't closed by them, it was closed by me. And behold, I set before you an open door. Go and do a new thing because you have hearts that are strong enough to do it. The faint hearts, Jesus wants them to be strong, to the church in Pergamum. He says, I'll give you from the hidden manna. You need, you need nourishment to strengthen you, my friends in Pergamum. To Thyatira, he says, with that strength, of course, you'll need authority to exercise the power that I give you. And so I'll give you authority, not just in your circumstances, but I'll give you authority over the nations. And so the strong heart is authorized by Jesus to use the strength that has grown there. And to any who have strayed into the paths of the faint heart. He says, and I also give you the morning star. A completely clean slate, a fresh start. Yes, I know that you feel as though perhaps you've had a faint heart, but you can have a strong heart from now on. I know that you feel condemned, that you've been drawn into the easy road or the broad path. I know that you've found yourself tempted to go there, but you can have a new day and a strong heart in the place of what you had. And so the, so the hard hearts become soft and the faint hearts become strong and in the 
in the flaming gaze of Jesus. The half hearts become whole. There are half-hearted Christians amongst the seven churches that Jesus addresses. And of course, that's the lukewarm Christians of Laodicea. And Jesus wants them to be wholehearted in their pursuit of him, but instead of whole heart, because it doesn't alliterate. And obviously, things are not anointed if they're not alliterated. I decided to draw on the English lexicon. I don't know whether it works with the American lexicon. But the half hearts can have sound hearts. Sound hearts. The reason I went there is because as I was thinking about Laodicea, I thought about an example of what it would be to Laodicea of wholeheartedness, a a sound-hearted approach. And I thought of David. In Psalm 78, and it's a long psalm, the very last verse of which is verse 72, it speaks about the heart of David. In 71, it speaks of God calling David from the sheepfolds to shepherd his people. And then there's this remarkable verse, verse 72, that describes the inner life of David. And it says, with integrity of heart, he led them. Integrity of heart. David got up to all kinds of antics. He missed the path on a number of occasions. He was often needed to be corrected and brought back into the place that God needed him to be. He did some really outrageously unhelpful things. And yet, whenever we hear of David, there is a heart after God that is a heart of integrity. And the the word picture there in in the Hebrew suggests A sound heart. A heart that's like a bell that when you strike it gives the same note every time. Isn't that great? That every time our heart is struck, it sounds the same note. Integrity of heart. A sound heart. And who among the churches was like that? Well, of course, that poorest, that meekest of the churches, Smyrna. A church that of all of the churches of the ancient world had a, had a leader from this region that is remembered down through the centuries. There are even churches that are, that are given over to his memory. Bishop Polycarp, you hear the name and you think, I don't know who that is. Bishop Polycarp was one of the great saints of the ancient world. And he was alive when this letter was written to the church in Smyrna and became the leader of the church in Smyrna. And when he was killed by 
his Roman executioners. His death and witness were so extraordinary that the world gazed on in wonder and said, here is the example of a sound heart. Isn't that amazing? This one little church that nobody had ever heard of raises up a saint of such stature that he's remembered down through the centuries. We don't want to be half-hearted. We want to be sound-hearted. Lord, we don't want to be hard-hearted. We want to be soft-hearted towards you. Lord, we don't want to be faint-hearted. Lord, I I don't want to be faint-hearted. I don't want to choose the easy or the broad road. Lord, I, I want to choose the narrow and the difficult road of discipleship. And so, Lord, I need my heart to be strengthened by you. Lord, I don't want to be lukewarm, half-hearted. I want to have a sound, whole heart. I want, Lord, to be just like those people in Laodicea who heard you, whose hearts became whole because they heard the invitation to come and sit with you on your throne. Lord, make us intimate. Touch our hearts, Lord, with that invitation. That's my prayer. I don't know what yours is this morning, but I'm sure it's similar to mine. So I ask you again, when you hear the words that Jesus is searching our hearts and his blazing eyes are examining our lives, does it cause fear or faith? Does it cause you to be repelled or to draw near? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace by Nebuchadnezzar. And when that great and terrible king looked in through the door of the fiery furnace, not only did he see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three faithful witnesses, were accompanied by one who looked like a son of man, But those that he threw bound hand and foot into the flames were walking around in the furnace. The only thing that the flames consume are the things that hold us. And so when Jesus looks at us with fiery eyes, It's only to set us free from the things that can be consumed. It's only the things that bind us hand and foot that are removed by his fiery gaze. And so Jesus wants us to hear those words 
and respond with faith and not fear. And so you, my friend, as I've prepared this week and I've gone to the Lord and recognized the places in my own heart where I need to hear this message, where do you need to hear it today? And as you, as you hear and as you respond, what is it that you're hearing the Lord say? Is it a softer heart that he's leading you towards? Is it a stronger heart? Is it a sounder heart? I'm going to ask the worship team to come and uh, join me here. Because this is what the Lord says to every church that he wants them to be. He says, he says, I want you to be that which I call you to be. And then he says this, he says, those who have an ear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to those who overcome, dot, 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 he gives a whole bunch of different things. To those who overcome, he gives fruit from the tree of life. He gives hidden manna. He gives a white stone of invitation to the victor's banquet. He gives a place on his throne of, of authority and power. To those who overcome, they receive these gifts. But how do we overcome? We overcome by hearing. And it's as we hear and receive the word that we have the capacity to overcome. We can't overcome in ourselves. We have no strength or ability to do anything like that. But he calls every church to overcome. So how do we overcome? We overcome by hearing what he said first, which is to listen. So what is he saying? Is he saying a softer heart? Is he saying a stronger heart? Is he saying a sounder heart? As we have the worship team lead us in this last song, it's gonna just cover a time for us to pray. Now we're not those teachers who believe that there's somehow a radical distinction between our bodies and our spirits. We know that they're completely interconnected and that we're not able to discern the difference between the two. Only the Lord's able to do that. And so if we're responding in our hearts, then there should be ha something happening in our bodies. And that's why it is on as many occasions as it seems absolutely appropriate to do, I'm always going to give you the opportunity to respond with your body to say to the Lord what's happening in your heart. And so if you've got to come in from the nosebleed sections up there, it's a long walk, I know that. But I think the song's long enough for you to get here. And if you're under the spout where the glory comes out, right here at the front, then you've got a short distance. But do respond. And make your response real before the Lord.